Vince Lombardi was a Hall of Fame uh, football coach. He coached between the years of 1959 and 1967, uh, the Green Bay Packers. And he actually had the winningest record of any coach in Green Bay Packer history. During the nine years that he coached that team, he led them to five league championships, uh, including victories in Super Bowls one and two. He was a marvelous coach. And in 1961, uh, Vince Lombardi walked into the Green Bay Packer locker room at the start of training season, and he walked up to his players And he said what would become one of the most iconic quotes in sports history. He stood there in front of his players and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. This is a football. You see, he understood that in order to win games and win championships, it was going to take more than simply a will to win. Those players on his team had to know the basics of football and they had to understand the football and know it as well as they knew the back of their hand. And I got to thinking about that this last week when it comes to marriage, having the will to have a good marriage isn't good enough. A lot of people want to have a good marriage, but it's not enough just to want it. We have to understand the basics. We have to get back to basics And that's what we'll be doing this month together in this new message series. I'm going to hold up God's Bible, God's word, and I'm going to say to you, ladies and gentlemen, this is a marriage. This is a marriage. If we want to understand what marriage is all about, what the purpose of marriage is and how to build a marriage that is healthy and strong and stands the test of time, we have to go back to God's blueprint of marriage given to us right here in the word of God over these next four Sundays. I want to give you a quick snapshot, a quick outline of uh, where we're headed over these four weeks together. Today, we're going to be looking at God's blueprint for marriage. Next week, we'll be looking at compatibility, what God's word says about being equally yoked. In week three, we'll take a look at sexual intimacy and boundaries. That's going to be a really important message. And then finally, we'll finish the month of January with a focus on separation and divorce. We could easily spend several months looking at what God's word teaches us about marriage. But we're just going to hit some of the main highlights together here in the month of January. I believe that regardless of whether you are married or single, or thinking about getting married, or divorced, or separated, whatever your situation may be, I believe God wants you to hear this message today and wants you to receive these messages about marriage that we're going to be looking at over the course of this month together. You see, you were created for greater impact, and that includes having a greater impact on the marriages around you. So don't think this is just about your marriage. This is about the marriages around you as well. God has called us to have a greater impact on those who are married around us. So today's message I'm calling God's Blueprint for Marriage. It's part one of our marriage renovation series. We're in Genesis chapter two, the second chapter in the book of the second chapter in the Bible, uh, second chapter in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. So uh, please follow along with me in your Bibles, Genesis chapter two, and I'll begin reading in verse 15. 
The Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife And they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. May God bless us as we read and study and listen to his word today. Most of you have probably seen the Disney classic animated movie, The Little Mermaid. And there's this wonderful scene early in the movie where uh, the little mermaid, Ariel, brings one of her treasures to her seagull friend, Scuttle. She found this at the bottom of the ocean and she put it in her collection of treasures that she had found over the years. And she brings this apparatus to her friend, Scuttle, and she asks him, what is it? Well, the seagull takes it and turns it in his hand and in his wing, actually. And he says, oh, I know what that is. That is a dingle hopper. It's a dingle hopper. And she says, well, what's it for? And he says, well, humans use this to kind of uh, straighten out uh, their hair. And so she says, "Okay." well, fast forward about 15 minutes or so in the movie. There is Ariel. She's on dry land. She's been given been given legs uh, by that uh, evil uh, Queen Ursula. And she's there on the land. She's there in the palace trying to woo Prince Eric. She's sitting at the dinner table and there right in front of her is a dinglehopper. And so she's so excited, she picks it up and she begins to comb her hair with it in front of the whole royal family. And she looks at their faces and they are in absolute shock. She made a fool of herself because she had no idea what that thing really was. Now, where did Ariel go wrong? Well, any four year old could answer that question. If she wanted to know what a fork was, she should have asked a human because a human invented the fork. Right. And humans are the ones that use forks. But no, she didn't ask a human what a fork was. She decided to get her answer from a dumb bird. And I got to thinking about that. We aren't much different, are we, when it comes to marriage? We Americans are more like Ariel than we like to admit. God is the creator of marriage. He is the grand architect of marriage. He dreamed it up and he brought it into being. And right here in the second chapter of Genesis, God shows us his blueprint. 
He tells us why marriage was created. He tells us what marriage looks like. But most Americans in the year 2022 completely ignore what God says about marriage. They ignore what the creator of marriage says about marriage, and they're trusting the warped opinions of dumb birds who pretend to be experts on the subject. We're not that much different from Ariel, are we? According to the Pew Research Center, in 2001, 35% of Americans supported same-sex marriage. Fast forward about 20 years, that level of support has almost doubled. Today, around 62% of Americans, almost two-thirds of all American adults, support so-called same-sex marriage, according to the Pew Research Institute. Well, think about that. Two-thirds of Americans, including many who claim to be Christians, say to hell with what the creator of marriage says about marriage. Uh, They say we're going to allow our, our celebrities and our political activists and our social media influencers to redefine marriage. They had nothing to do with the creation of marriage, but they're going to allow them to redefine marriage anyway. If they say that marriage is a dingle hopper, then darn it, I believe marriage is a dingle hopper. Well, according to the Barna Trends in 2017, that report, 65% of American adults say that living together without being married is a good idea. God Almighty, the creator of marriage, makes it very clear here in Genesis 2 what the order of events are. It goes like this. You with me? First comes marriage. Then comes Sex, then comes children in that order, marriage, sex, children. That is God's order of things, according to Genesis two. That's God's order of things. And according to God's word, changing the order of things is a really bad idea. Not only that, it's sin. But two thirds of Americans, including many who claim to be Christians, say, who cares what the creator says about sex? We're going to do what our favorite movie stars and our favorite recording artists do. It's my body, so I'm going to do with it whatever I darn well please. Two-thirds of Americans believe, hey, it's okay to live together if that floats your boat. Even if God, the creator of sex, even if God, the creator of marriage, says something completely the opposite. Well, if you're listening to this this message today... I hope that you agree that it is foolish to ignore what God says about marriage. If we ignore God's blueprint for marriage, we're just asking for trouble. So let's take a closer look at God's blueprint for marriage here in Genesis. Back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God's creation of the first man and woman is summarized this way. It's Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Unlike any other living thing in the universe, human beings were created in the image of God. Both men and women were created in the image of God. But as we get to Genesis chapter two, God gives us much more detail about how man and woman were created, how he did it. And why he did it. 
We read in Genesis 2, verse 7, part of that passage we just read together a few minutes ago. In Genesis 2, 7, it says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Then in verse 15, God placed Adam in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And one of the first tasks God gave Adam to do was to name all the animals and all the birds. We find that in verses 19 and 20. So these are some wonderful details we weren't given in chapter one. God didn't create Adam and Eve simultaneously. He created man first and then later on created woman. It's an important little detail there. So in verse 15, God, as I mentioned, placed Adam in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. He asks him to name all the animals and birds, which he does before Eve is even created. Adam certainly noticed that as every animal came by him for him to name that animal, every animal had a partner. Uh, There was a male giraffe and a female giraffe. There was a male dog and a female dog. There was a uh, male aardvark and a female aardvark. When he got to one of the ugliest animals, the duck-billed platypus, even that ugly thing had its counterpart, didn't it? It did. And so Adam must have been thinking, you know what? Every animal has a partner, but I was created in the image of God and I don't. Have a partner. Look what God says in verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now look at verse 20 says for Adam, no suitable helper was found. This term suitable helper is used two times. It's used in verse 18. It's used in verse 20. And it's a really important and interesting word in this text and in the Hebrew Bible. If you misunderstand this term, you will misunderstand God's blueprint for marriage. So let's see if we can wrap our minds around what God is saying here. I want to show you a few other good translations of verse 18. Uh, First of all, we've got a literal translation. This is from the literal standard version. And Yahweh, remember, that's the holiest name of God in our English translations. It's usually translated as Lord. Uh, Yahweh, God says, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper as his counterpart. That's an interesting way to say helper suitable, a counterpart helper. I also like how uh, the uh, next version says it, the Holman Christian Standard. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper as his complement, helper suitable, complementary Helper. That's really interesting to help us wrap our minds around what God is saying here. Finally, I want to show you this last one. I love how the New Living Translation says this in plain English in a, in a very powerful way. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Isn't that good? A helper who is just right for him. So I want you to meditate on these words. Eve was custom made by God to be a perfect helper for Adam. She wasn't just a run of the mill helper. She was created to be his counterpart, his complement, a helper who was just right for him. And if you get the impression that being Adam's helper was a very important and noble task, you are absolutely correct. 
It doesn't in any way indicate that Adam's wife was inferior to him or some sort of peon. It's saying the complete opposite. This term helper suitable here in Genesis chapter two, verse 18, and also in verse 20 literally means corresponding face to face. So think about this for a moment. God created created Eve to correspond face to face with her husband, Adam. God created a wife to correspond face to face with her husband. And even Adam's surgery demonstrates this. Uh, 18th century Bible scholar uh, Matthew Henry says it so well. He writes, she was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him. But she was made out of his side to be equal with him under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be loved. Isn't that good? God took a rib from Adam. Not a bone from his head so that she would be over him. Not a bone from his foot so he would be over her corresponding face to face. That's a beautiful thing. God custom made Eve to correspond face to face with Adam. And I want to suggest to you that there is an inseparable connection between verses 18 21, 24, and 25. If you have your Bibles open, you may want to make a little check mark or maybe circle those verse numbers. Look at that again. Verses 18, 21, 24, and 25. I want you to follow me on this. God created a wife to correspond face to face with her husband. Face to face, chest to chest, legs to legs. You with me so far? And when a husband and wife are face to face, naked, without any shame, they become one flesh as their parts fit together like a perfect puzzle. And this physical intimacy between a husband and his wife is just right for bringing children into the world. I'll try to say this as tactfully and discreetly as I know how. Now, I'm going to Put it on the screen here so I don't botch it up. I'm trying to be discreet, but I need to make a point here. Face-to-face intercourse is only possible between one man and one woman. And that is by God's design. I won't say any more than that. Face-to-face intercourse is only possible between one man and one woman. And that's by God's design. Now, We've just spent the past few minutes examining the most foundational passage about marriage in the Bible here in Genesis 2. God has showed us his blueprint for marriage. He's told us plainly what marriage looks like and why he created it in the first place. And it boils down to this. According to Genesis 2, verses 15 to 25, according to those verses, there are two God-given purposes for marriage. There are three given to us in Scripture. Two of them are given here in Genesis chapter 2. The first God-given purpose for marriage is to provide a lifelong helper who is just right for you. Isn't that good? To provide a lifelong helper who is just right for you. Many people claim that a dog is is man's best friend, right? (laughs) Other people claim that uh, a same-sex friend is uh, the best kind of friendship anyone could ever have. But the truth is, 
neither a dog nor a friend can fit together in a relationship and meet needs like a spouse can. God's blueprint isn't being followed if a husband finds that others outside of his marriage bring more fulfillment than his wife does. The same could be said about a wife. If she finds other relationships much more fulfilling than a relationship with her husband, something has been straying from God's blueprint. Those of you who have been blessed with a healthy Christ-centered marriage know that these other relationships, whether it's with a dog or with a same-sex friend, uh, those other relationships, as wonderful as they might be, can't compare to your relationship with your spouse. A good dog is great. A good friend is a gift from God. But a good spouse is your perfect helper. Your perfect complement. Your perfect counterpart. A good spouse fits your greatest relationship needs just right. Amen? And that's by design. God's second purpose for marriage, according to Genesis 2, to provide unashamed sexual intimacy that will lead to bearing children. Remember what we read in Genesis 1:27. It said, so God created man in his own image in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. Well, in the very next verse, Genesis 1:28, it goes on to say this. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase on earth, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. God made it clear to Adam and Eve that one of their highest purposes from the very beginning, one of their most important tasks as a married couple was to be fruitful and increase in number. In other words, God says, have kids and have a lot of them. God says that to them from the very beginning in Genesis 1. And God repeated this command twice to Noah in Genesis 9, once Noah came off the ark. God repeated that same command in Genesis 35 to the patriarch Jacob. And so over and over again in the book of Genesis, God is saying this to his followers. Be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. God created man and woman to manage the rest of creation here on earth. It was a huge responsibility, and there was no possible way that Adam and Eve could do it alone. And so God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth have children and have lots of them. So procreation. Bearing children is one of God's highest created purposes for marriage. It's one of his highest purposes. Many people don't know this. Many others know it and just choose to ignore it. Over the past few decades, marriage uh, rates and birth rates have been dropping steadily across North America and Europe and Asia in industrialized nations like the U.S. The replacement birth rate is 2.1. What that means is every married couple needs to have on average 2.1 kids. I don't know how you get 0.1, but follow me on this. Every married couple on average needs to have 2.1 kids in order to just replace their parents' generation. Japan has received a lot of attention in recent years because of their frightening low fertility rates. Japan has a birth rate less than 1.4, so their population is plummeting. Worst in the world is Taiwan has a birth rate barely over one. It's not even half of what they need to replace their parents' generation. 
The United States fertility rate right now is around two. Uh, other studies show it's somewhere around 1.9, which means for the first time in American history, we have a younger generation that will not be large enough to replace their parents generation. And the only reason it's as high as it is at 1.9 or 2 is because of immigration. Those that are new to the country tend to have much higher fertility rates than those who have been here for a generation or more. So guess who statistically has the most kids in many European countries today? It's not the natural born Europeans. It's immigrant Muslims that by far have the highest fertility rate in Europe. Throughout many parts of Europe, Muslims are having three to four times as many kids as their neighbors, which means that within two generations, many European countries will have Muslim majorities simply because of their significantly higher birth rates. Now, when it comes to atheists believing that, hey, kids are a pain in the neck, I don't want to have them. I'll be honest with you, that doesn't bother me much. If atheists don't want to procreate and have more atheists, I'm really okay with that. However, I've got a problem when Christians hold to that same viewpoint. I like how Pastor Vody Bachman says it. He points out that many Christians go around saying, a boy for me and a girl for you, praise the Lord, we're all through. Some Christians believe that. Hey, you know what? Just one or two and we're done. But friends, you need to understand that's not in the Bible. God's word tells us that children are a blessing from the Lord. Now, some married couples hearing this message today have physical limitations and they are not able physically to have children. If this is true of you, thank God for your situation. Remember my favorite verse in the Bible, Romans 8:28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So what that means for you is this. Is it a blessing to have children? Yes, it is, according to Scripture. But if God has not allowed you to have children of your own, that too can be a blessing for you because God works all things together for good. So if you're able to have children, have children. They're a blessing from God. If you're not able to have children, don't beat yourself up or curse God over it. He's working all things together for good. You thank him for that blessing that he has given to you. Others of you hearing this message today may be called to remain single and live a life of celibacy. If that is true of you, praise God for that. It's his perfect plan for your life. You're like the Apostle Paul. He was single and got a whole lot done for the kingdom of God. And he said, you know what? You should rejoice if God gives you the gift of singleness. Use your singleness for the glory of God. Love and serve the Lord with everything you've got as a single adult. So what are God's two purposes for marriage according to Genesis 2? Number one, to provide a lifelong helper who is just right for you. And number two, to provide unashamed sexual intimacy that will lead to bearing children. Uh, by the way, if you're unable to have children or you're past the age of having children, uh, you can still enjoy that sexual intimacy. There's nothing in God's word that says sexual intimacy between a man and his wife is only for procreation. That's part of it, but it's not the only part. Now, if we turn to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul points out a third God-given purpose for marriage. We find it in Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 33. The third God-given purpose for marriage is to provide a living illustration of Christ's sacrificial love 
for the church. I want to read this passage for you quickly. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 25. The Apostle Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. This is such a beautiful and powerful passage. Lord willing, we'll have a little bit more time to take a closer look at it in a couple weeks. But for now, suffice it to say that a Christ centered marriage displays Jesus, his his agape love to a watching world to a watching world. Our marriages as Christians can be so, so powerful. Last month, when we were talking about the church at Philadelphia, as we were going through our seven churches of Revelation series, I shared with you the true story of John McWilkin. John McWilkin served as the president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary between 1968 and 1990. He served for 22 years as that seminary president, and he was very good at his job. But remember, his wife, Muriel, uh, contracted Alzheimer's in the early 1980s. And by the time 1990 rolled around, it was very clear that Muriel needed her husband at home full time. And so John McQuilkin stepped down. He resigned from his position as the seminary president, and he spent the rest of Muriel's life caring for full time. For 13 years between 1990 and 2003, he cared for his wife until her dying day. He loved her and he cared for her every day of her life. John McQuilkin influenced and inspired thousands of people over those 22 years that he had served as college president. But over those 13 years that he loved and cared for his wife before she passed, he influenced countless more. You see, when he did what God had called him to do as a loving husband, he impacted more people for Christ than he ever could have impacted as that college president. His testimony has inspired and encouraged countless Christians over the last 20 years. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are married, people around you are watching your marriage and you have a powerful God given opportunity to influence and inspire those who are watching. Many of your family members and friends do not want to hear you talk about Jesus's love and grace and forgiveness, but they will watch your marriage that exemplifies and demonstrates Jesus's love and grace and forgiveness. If they don't want to hear you talk about Jesus, fine. Show them what Jesus's grace and mercy and forgiveness looks like in your marriage. Show them what Jesus's unconditional love looks like by loving your spouse unconditionally. Show them what Jesus's grace looks like by giving your spouse grace that he or she doesn't deserve. Show them what Jesus's forgiveness looks like by forgiving your spouse over and over 
and over again. Marriage provides us with a beautiful, powerful, God-given opportunity to display the love and the grace and the forgiveness of the gospel right in front of people for them to see with their own eyes. So many people around us don't want to hear Christians, but believe me, they're watching us. They may not want to hear you, but they're watching you. So show them through your marriage the love of Christ. Well, there you have it. God's blueprint for marriage, God's three purposes for marriage. If you do a Google search on the definition of marriage, this is the definition that will pop up first. It's a definition uh, from Oxford, and it goes like this. The legally or formally recognized union of two people as partners in a personal relationship. And then in parentheses at the end, historically and in some jurisdictions, specifically a union between a man and a woman. It's like an afterthought, you know, in some jurisdictions, eh, historically, it's been one man to woman. But that's no longer the definition of marriage today. It's just legally or formally a recognized union of two people as partners in some sort of personal relationship. Well, now that you have joined me in opening God's word and examining God's blueprint for marriage, I hope that you will agree that this is a pitiful Terrible, watered-down definition of marriage. Do you agree with me on that? God's Word has equipped us today to offer this much more accurate and beautiful definition of marriage. You ready for it? Here it is. Read it with me. Marriage, according to God's Word. Marriage is a lifelong covenant relationship between one man and one woman. God created marriage for the purposes of close companionship, physical intimacy, bearing and rearing children, and demonstrating Christ's unconditional love to a watching world. Friends, that's what God's Word teaches us about marriage. One final question. Is there any room in God's Word for the definition of marriage to be changed or updated? And the unequivocal answer is no. There is no room in God's word for marriage to be changed or updated. Just as God is the same yesterday, today and forever, so too is his blue for, so too is God's blueprint for marriage. So I end by saying this, ladies and gentlemen, this is marriage. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for answering our questions about marriage. Sometimes we stumble through life and try to come up with the answers on our own. You've already given us the answers. Lord, you've let us know from the second chapter of the Bible what marriage is supposed to be, why you created it, what the purposes of marriage are. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us this. And as we continue to open your word over these next few weeks together and and read more about your created purpose for marriage and how to have marriages that are healthy and and strong and flourish marriages, Lord, that are are marked by unconditional agape love. I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to receive what you have to teach us this month. For those of us who are single, oh God, I, I pray that we would take to heart 
what we're learning this month because you want us to pass it on to others who are married. Some of us who are single, Lord, may be single today, but may not be single a year from now or five years from now. Teach us what we need to learn so we can start off our marriages on the right foot and have strong and healthy marriages from the very beginning. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you have for us this month. Thank you for what you had for us today. And we pray, O oh God, especially for those of us who are listening to this broadcast who are married right now. Lord, help us to carry out these three purposes. Lord, help us to draw closer in companionship with our spouse than ever before. Because, Lord, they, they truly are an ideal match for us that you've provided. I thank you for that perfect companionship, that, that, that perfect partnership we can enjoy. I pray that it would become stronger. Lord, I, I thank you so much for the sexual intimacy that we're able to enjoy in our marriages. And some of us watching, Lord, are still in child-rearing years. And, and Lord, I, I thank you for giving many of us the opportunity to bring children into the world. Lord, I pray that you would find us faithful as we plan our families and as we bring kids into the world to raise them and point them to Christ. And finally, Lord, I pray that as the world is watching us, that we would demonstrate that agape love as we love our spouse more than life itself. Help the world to look at us and see an unconditional love, an unconditional grace, an unconditional forgiveness in our marriages. And may they be attracted to Jesus Christ as they see it in our marriages. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are so glad that you joined us in worship today. Uh, we'll be taking communion together in a few moments if you'd like to stay with us. Uh, if you'll be signing off right now, I want to say once again, thank you for being a part of our online service. God's word is so powerful and it is not only the blueprint for marriage. It's also the blueprint for how to live our lives every single day. Any relationship within that we're in, any challenge that we face, any obstacle that's before us, God has the answers right here in his word. And so I encourage you to be in God's word every day. Be prayerful as you go into God's word. Seek him and he will give you the answers that you desire. Remember, you will seek him and find him when you seek him with all of your heart. If you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, remember, it's not complicated. It's hard, but it's not complicated. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And C, choose to begin following him today. And if you'd like to make that decision, I encourage you to reach out to us at Impact Christian Church. You can reach out to our office by calling 760-246-4100 or simply sending us an email at info at greaterimpact.cc. However you choose to reach out for to us, I hope that you'll do that. Uh, we're here and ready for you. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you, whatever your need may be. Reach out to us and God bless you as you serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this week.